prayer. The very idea seems audacious. Revolutionary. Full of wonder and mystery. An invitation to speak to God. To seek. To knock. To ask. Like a little child climbing into Father's arms, prayer is an intimate and personal experience. It's about opening your heart to a loving God, a good Father, the one who truly knows you and truly loves you. Prayer is trusting Him with your worries and fears, your hopes and dreams, your needs and desires. It's about carrying all life's burdens, big and small, before the throne of God and resting in the limitless peace of His extravagant grace. So pray without ceasing. Pray for each other as you would pray for yourself and praise Him for His faithfulness because there is power in prayer. It's been quite a season. If you were with us last week, or even if you were elsewhere, we, as believers, as God followers, had an opportunity to focus on Good Friday, to focus on the ransom that Jesus paid for each of us. Where again, we're sinners. We have been separated from God. We've gone our own way. We've done our own thing. And the only way our sin would be taken care of would be to have the perfect Lamb of God shed His blood so that we might be reconciled. We might have our ransom paid. And then just a few days later, We're able to meet and to gather and to focus on the resurrection of Jesus. The life that he displayed and offered to each one who believes. That story may be old to some. That story may have lost some of its luster. But that is an amazing story. And, And we're kind of floating, and we're grateful, and we're amazed at God's grace for every one of us, every one of us. Today, though, we resume the exciting story of the early church that's found in Acts. If you're newer to our fellowship here, we've been studying the early church, and we've been going through the book of Acts. It's a history of the early church. The first four books of the gospel, of the New Testament, is called the gospel. And there we had different authors be able to share with us a little bit about who Jesus is, why he came, how he responded to different people. And it shows how much he loved us. Then, the book of Acts. 
happens just shortly right after the resurrection of Jesus. But let's quickly look at the first 11 chapters of Acts. It, don't fret. It, it won't take that long. But there's 120 believers who were waiting for the Spirit. Jesus told them right before he ascended, right before he went to, to go back to heaven and be with his Father, he said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait for the Spirit. <laughs> the Spirit came, and it just blew everybody's mind away. They had heard of the coming Spirit, but the Spirit was now living in them. And they were gifted, and they were able to be able to proclaim boldly the good news that Jesus Christ came. And there were thousands at that time of Jews that responded. And then the church expanded, and the church went out into different areas, and into the area of Samaria. And there were some who came to faith in Samaria, and God's Spirit filled them. And then later, just recently, we see that, well, the Jerusalem church, the missionaries, continue to go out even further. And there's a group of Gentiles. And Peter had this vision, and Peter was encouraged to include the Gentiles in this whole salvation experience. And there were some that responded, and the Spirit came and lived in them and filled them. Oh, the church, after it was birthed, after it experienced some of these unbelievable, well, things that happened to them, they came under persecution. But instead of holding up, they expanded. And last time we were in Acts, Palm Sunday, we looked at the last part of Acts chapter 11. And we saw that a very, very special church was formed. It was a church at Antioch. And it was one, again, that, that God was using and protecting. In fact, we even saw the apostle Paul, which his name was Saul at the time, came and taught in this church for over a year. It was pretty cool. But now we're in Acts chapter 12. And what I'd like to do is go through the first 19 verses, get the story clearly in our head, and then spend some time applying some of the lessons. Now, sometimes the Bible is not written chronologically, and so we do get a little bit confused. And so technically, if you write in your Bibles or whatever, um, the chronological order looks like this. It goes from Acts chapter 11, verse 18, and then jumps to Acts chapter 12, all right? And I shared with you, even as I began teaching the Acts chapter 11, verse 19 passage, that I struggled, and I didn't know whether I wanted to just clump this with all of Paul's adventures, but I decided, no, we're just going to go chronologically. But if you would, and you're following, this section, Acts chapter 12, would follow right after this whole scenario happened in Jerusalem. The Gentiles had just received the Spirit. 
Peter was in the Jerusalem church and trying to explain to all those believers that Gentiles were welcome in the kingdom. As you remember, three weeks ago, the church wasn't that excited that Gentiles were included. But after they heard the stories and after they understood all that Peter was saying, they rejoiced, they praised God, and they welcomed God. So that's where we're stopped. We turned the calendar and we go to Acts chapter 12, right after. Now the church knows that Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles, they're all part of the church, this new church. But before we get into this story, let's pray. Let's pray. Oh God, you are a powerful and a wise, and a loving, and a merciful, and a just, and a gracious, and a sovereign God. You are king. You sustain our world, and it reflects your beauty and your order. You created this world, and you filled it with life. Yet, Father, we have rejected your offer of life, and we've tried living our lives apart from you. We have not listened to you well at times, and it breaks your heart. But, God, even to us, it brings death. It brings lack of life. We focused on your death and your resurrection this last weekend. And God, we are so grateful that you didn't sit back, but you provided a way for us to be reconciled and then offered us life through your Son. You birthed your church, and we're studying that. You equipped your church, and you gave your church a mission. We gather today, and we want to learn about your church and actually about our mission We're excited about what you did and actually what you are going to do in us and through us here today in this church, in our church, in the church. Lord, fill us with your spirit. May we be more and more sensitive to his leading and send us out. May your presence in us give us boldness and power. Father, for such a time as this, you've given us breath. We woke up this morning because you have an assignment for us. So use your church. And especially even as we celebrate at the end of our time and talk a little more about Casa de Oracion, we pray especially for them. We pray, God, that you would use this church in our area in a very special way, that you would build the kingdom and that there would be disciples made. So, Father, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we pray that way, Father, we pray for our country and we pray for our leaders We know our world and our country's broken. 
We know it's fragmented. We know it's divided. God, we ask that your will would be done. We pray this morning, even as we gather for the sick, for the infirmed, for the discouraged, for the depressed, and and even for those especially mourning who have suffered loss of loved ones. We think of the Marilyn Bull family, and we think of the Kowalichek family as Jim last night lost his father. So God, we would ask that you would be exceptionally close and remind, well, these families of your love for them. I pray this day for our preaching. I pray for the teaching. I pray, Father, that you would use your word to change us, that we would leave different people, not because of a snazzy story, but because your spirit is just chipping away all the things that don't reflect you well. It's empowering us and giving us boldness to be able to do what you've asked us to do. Oh, God, don't let us leave the same, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 12? Acts chapter 12. We're going to start reading the first five verses. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along um, on the screen behind me. Let me start off. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, Peter, placing him under a guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Oh, this is a story that so many of you know. This is one of our favorites as we gather kids around or we're in a Sunday school kind of environment. We love telling how God's people came together and prayed. But there is a lot to this story. Now again, after the conflict, the church's persecution escalated and Herod gets a hold of one of the early church leaders. Let me remind you who this is. Remember, Jesus hung around with 12 guys. He really was close to James, John, and Peter. James and John are the sons of thunder. This is the James. Now, by this time, if we look at history, Herod had become a title. In this particular Herod, it was Herod um, Agrippa I. And he was the guy who became the Romans' puppeteer. To the Romans, Herod's or any other leader had two primary important responsibilities. They were to keep peace in the land 
and they were to keep the money or the taxes flowing to Rome. So this Herod thought he could keep peace in Jerusalem by siding with the Jews and killing off one of the dead Messiah's leaders. He found out that the execution of James, one of the sons of thunder, curried so much favor with the Jews that Herod had Peter arrested and actually planned to do the exact same thing to him. But Peter, if you recall even earlier in in Acts, he had a reputation. He had a tendency to escape prison. So Herod wasn't going to let that happen. He, He put four sets of guards of four Uh, Four teams of four guards on Peter. The church's response, as, as you noticed, they gathered together and earnestly prayed for him. We don't have anything else. We actually don't even know what they prayed for. You know, we kind of think maybe. But if you've read this story, even for the first time, there should be a whole lot of questions happening. And I hope to address them in just a little bit. But let's keep going in our story. Chapter 12, starting at verse 6. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial. Let me say that again. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial. Now, that sounds like trial. (laughs) the night before he went on this fake trial and was killed. I'll just put that in there, okay? He was asleep, fastened with two chains between chains with two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, There was a bright light in the cell, and the angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed, put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left them. Peter finally came to a census. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from the Jewish leaders had planned to do with me. Peter was going to get executed the next day. And he was sleeping soundly. Yeah. He was going to lose his life the next day. And Peter was sleeping to a place where he had to be shaken by the angel. Peter was well guarded. He was chained. But God sent an angel to rescue Peter. 
And this is pretty exciting stuff. It, it is. In fact, Peter thought he was just having a vision or a dream. But this angel leads Peter past the guards, and then the angel leaves. Now, I got to say this. These guards knew the penalty for letting a prisoner go. I see so many in the artwork as I tried to find some right stuff to, to be able to use, but almost every one that I saw, we had the guards sleeping. I don't think the guards were sleeping, just so you know. All right? Their lives depended on this. Maybe one could have dozed off, but not all, all of that. They just didn't. So if you can look at this, this angel came, he did all this kind of stuff while the guards were right there. They were awake. Well, it had to be even cooler, all right? So anyway, Peter gets out, and he comes to his senses, and he must have gasped and just said, the Lord save me. I, I am out. He's pinching himself. He's throwing water. No, I don't know. He didn't have water. I, I don't know what he's doing. But realistically, Lord save me. Lord save me. Lord save me. Maybe a little dance. Maybe a little jig. The Lord save me. He came to his senses. <laughs> Let's continue to read verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. You got to love the, remark, the remarks. You're out of your mind. You're crazy. Hey, why don't you come back and join the prayer meeting? We're praying for Peter's release. Excuse me. Peter's at the door. And when she insisted, they decided it must be an angel or a messenger or I don't know. Meanwhile, Peter continued to knock. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. I have that circled in my Bible. He mentioned for them to quiet down because all of a sudden a party had a burst. They were shouting. They couldn't believe that Peter was here. And he told them how the Lord had let him out of prison, how the Lord saved him. Tell James... And the other brothers, that's James. This James is Christ's brother, all right, who's become part of the leadership at the Jerusalem church. Tell James, the brother of Jesus, and the other brothers what happened. He said this, and then he went to another place. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him, but when he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterwards, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. I thought it was pretty cool. He knew where to go. 
It, it must have been some kind of a practice of the church, and maybe there are quite a few houses that were all gathered all over Jerusalem. But he went to Mary's house, and we know that many of the church were praying. The maid Rhoda hears Peter's voice and goes ballistic. She, she gets totally discombobulated. Isn't it great sometimes how young people have this like, oh, God, you're working. Some of us older ones, we get a little more sarcastic. Some of us always get, get uh, well, to a point where maybe God doesn't work this way anymore. But they finally believe her after she insists. They open the front door and the party begins. The Bible says Peter had to literally calm them down. I got to believe that Peter was probably a little weary. Hey, if this gets out, man, I'm going to be back in prison. Can you guys hold this down just a little bit? Then Peter told them to tell others, especially James and the other leaders, And then Peter leaves the house. And what you're going to find out, even as we read through Acts, we don't hear a lot about Peter anymore. Maybe one time in Acts chapter 15, that was it. But havoc reigned at daybreak. I I don't know when the soldiers realized that their prisoner was no longer chained. They had to go to each other. They knew they were in trouble. They couldn't figure out, and at least four of them were killed because of it. Now, this is quite the story. It is. And and I think, actually, God has so much to teach us. And so fasten your seatbelts, because I think in the next few minutes that we kind of interact... I think God has four truths for us that shout, that absolutely should inspire and bring conviction. We're going to look at some of the hard questions, and I think the Spirit will encourage you today. So the first thing, first thing, the Almighty, our good King, allows some to die and some to live. A question you had to ask is, why did James die? How come God let James die? This is the early part of the church. This is the son of thunder. You spent a lot of time with him, Jesus. You just wanted him around for a little short time. God, aren't you powerful enough to stop this? And why does Peter get to live? How how come Peter does and James doesn't? And Lord, the guards didn't do anything wrong. Did the guards do anything wrong? Why did four guards have to die? What made those four guards die? And really, this seems just senseless. It feels so unjust. 
Now, if you've been walking with God for a while and you understand that he is sovereign and he has control over all things, this may even bother you more. But as we do life, we may not always embrace God's timing. But let me make this perfectly clear. His plan is really simple. As long as it is necessary that a particular servant of the Lord be actively deployed in accompanying Christ's mission, he or she will be rescued or given breath the next day. You see, I believe that any martyrdom is still a mark of God's sovereignty. It's not of his weakness. Listen carefully to this. But the only reason any believer wakes up in the morning is to complete God's mission. So anytime that you get up in the morning, there should be somewhat of an excitement. If you know the Lord, if you're part of God's family, you can get up every day and say, God, you got something for me to do. God, I got to listen to you. God, this is an adventure. What is it? Who am I going to chat with? Who am I going to encourage? Who am I going to confront? God, I'm yours. Teach me, guide me, show me. But once our assignment is finished, God takes us home. Now we struggle with that, I get it. Why, God, did you take my 10-year-old daughter home? God, this is so wrong. God, don't you understand? God, don't you understand the joy that she brings? But God knows. And God is just. You know, we had a beautiful celebration of one of our saints here, right here in this worship center yesterday. Marilyn Bowl, well, she normally sits right over in that section. And she loved the Lord with all of her heart. And to be quite honest, as I listened to the family and as I heard how much they're going to miss Marilyn, not only the impact she made in the kingdom, but just, I'm going to miss my mom. I'm going to miss my grandma. I'm going to miss my great-grandma. The bottom line is God did not screw up. He didn't. For whatever reason, we don't know, is that Marilyn's assignment was up. And she was called home. And she's with Jesus right now. And the family is grieving right now. They are sad, but they're not despairing. That's the beauty of it. So we look at why James and not Peter? I guess simply said, James's assignment was done. That, that's all. And Peter's wasn't. Look at the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. 
Now, again, if you read through John, you'll understand that Mary and Martha and Lazarus, man, they were buddies with Jesus. Lazarus got sick. You can read this in chapter 11 of John. And I I would assume that Mary and Martha thought maybe they had an inside scoop. You know, Jesus, Lazarus is really sick. Would you come? Would you heal him? We know we've seen you do this. Please come. Well, so odd, but Jesus comes, but kind of late. He's already been dead for four days. And you can look at that story, but, but both of the, the girls, the sisters, they're brokenhearted. Jesus, if you only would have been here. And then, and then there's a, a, a short verse, and just said, Jesus began to weep. And no one knows why Jesus cried right here. There's a bunch of probably different reasons. But then Jesus did this unbelievable miracle. He said, I just want you to trust me, and you're going to show God, I'm going to show you God's power. And he raises Lazarus from the dead, who's been already stinking, decomposing, and he came alive. My question to you is, what did Jesus do this super miracle just because he was friends with Mary and Martha? No. I don't know if you again can look, but a little bit later in John chapter 12, this actually in John chapter 12 starts the last week of Christ's life in this scenario. And what we find out, he comes in, it's called Palm Sunday. But Lazarus was with him. And the scriptures literally say this that the people came to see Jesus and the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. And in John chapter 12, starting at verse 9, the scriptures tell us this, that many people became part of God's family. They believed in Jesus because they saw Lazarus. So Lazarus actually wasn't raised from the dead just because he was like family to Jesus. He was raised from the dead because he still had an assignment. And eventually he died. And then went right to glory at that time. Number two, Peter slept the night before his execution. I want to tread lightly here, but I also want you to understand this is so different. We all worry, all of us. We all fret. What about a job? What about a relationship? What about that test tomorrow? What about, what about, what about? The doctor's calling me back. I don't know. What is going to happen to me. Now, I'm pretty sure most of us would lose sleep over a lot less important things than losing your life tomorrow. I sense it was Peter's faith in his God, period. For some reason, he had spent enough time with God and was spending time with God that he had absolute faith in his king. And I'm not sure if he had the attitude to say, hey, tomorrow I'm going to see him. Or tomorrow I'm getting rescued. Either way, God, this is in your hands and I need some sleep. I'm, I'm going to bed. 
<laughs> How wonderful. What a great attitude. I'm going to see you soon, or you're going to take care of me and give me another assignment. Let's go for it, God. I'm going to go to sleep. I'll wake up, and you tell me what's going on. Well, he didn't even sleep through the night. But I do know this, is that greater the relationship you have, the greater the faith you have in your dad. And I, and I just want to ask you, what are you struggling with today? What is your fear? What is your hurt? What is the injustice that has happened to you? Is it sickness? Is it fear of the future? Is it about retirement? Is it a kid that's not following Jesus? What, what is your fear? Because I think every believer has an opportunity to spend time with their God, develop their relationship with God, to be able to trust God in new and fresh ways. And in fact, those are things as I continually meet with people, I pray for faith. I pray for faith. There may be some prayer for healing in there, and there may be some prayer for, I hope you get a job, and I hope that your marriage is mended, and, and not to think those are casual. But my greatest concern is that you would know your God in a way that circumstances, they don't matter. You see, faith in God is not a crutch. It's an adventure. Jesus talked about it on the Sermon on the Mount over and over again. The longest sermon he said, he goes, you know what, don't worry about the future. Just don't. God's going to take care of you. Paul writes while he's in prison in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he says this, do not worry about anything. Paul's in prison. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Don't worry, pray. Don't worry, trust your dad. <laughs> How cool. Speaking about prayer, the third thing I see is that prayer is critical for the church. Now, if I noticed in the scriptures that this was an all-night prayer, I'm pretty sure that most of them had to go to work the next day. I'm pretty sure that an all-night prayer service is actually inconvenient. And actually, I'm pretty sure that you might be a little crabby the next day. I don't know. But you know what? The church had a crisis. They met together inconveniently and prayed. I also sensed that prayer was normal for them, that this was something that happened. We know in Acts chapter 2 that when the Spirit came upon them, the church started gathering in clusters, and they focused on teaching. They focused on fellowship eating meals together, and they focused on prayer. So this was a normal thing. And I'm assuming because persecution was all over that they were always meeting together and just trusting God for their lives. I also notice this, is that their prayer was, effect, or was fervent or earnest or intense or passionate. And I'm not even trying to say, unless you start standing up and you start frothing at the mouth and you start raising your hands and you start shouting to God that God is not going to hear your prayer. But I think it's just the opposite of casual. 
Hey, by the way, God, you know, if you get around to it, I'm struggling with this whole job thing. Uh, Folks, each one of us have an opportunity to go before the king of kings, to go boldly into his throne room, to be able to share our hearts. And we, many, take it casual. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Go, Jesus, let's eat the food. Do, Do you understand? Then in James chapter 5, James writes this, the earnest prayer of a righteous man or a person that walks with God has great power and produces wonderful results. It's a promise. Nothing about casual. Now, I saw this as pretty amazing that they prayed even though James was just killed. There had to be good friends of James right in that council or maybe another Households that were praying. They had to be grieving James. They probably, in my opinion, were praying for James. And then they hear James is killed. Wouldn't that put a damper on most of your prayers? Hey, I just got through praying for James. That didn't work so well. No. Let's pray. Let's Pray. And I wonder, I wonder what they prayed for. Did they pray for deliverance? Maybe, but I think when Peter was delivered, they didn't really jump at that. I mean, when he got there and when they opened the door, sure. I wonder what they prayed for. Father, give us strength. Father, give us courage. Lord, I think we're going to lose another leader. Oh, God, how are we going to survive? God, God, would you, would you please? God, we're fragile. God, would you take care of your church? God, I'm not understanding. God, please hear our heart. The good news, and this is so encouraging to me, God worked in spite of the church's unbelief. He said, no, Rick, they really did believe, but sort of. How about that? I do think all disciples need to maintain a difficult, this difficult balance. We live in a natural world guided by natural laws, yet we serve a God who can and sometimes does overrule the laws of nature. But for the most part, we must accept circumstances at face value. Good people get sick and even die. Hard-working, loving disciples of Jesus go bankrupt. Honest businesses go under. Innocent people are mistreated, convicted, and punished. In many situations, God does not supernaturally intervene to prevent misfortune. Yet, 
We must not view life strictly from human perspective. This is why small groups are so critical. It's why being in relationship with others is it helps us walk through tough times as they feed truth to us and as the scriptures feed truth. God may not choose to alter the circumstances. He may allow a Stephen to suffer unjustly. He may allow a wicked authority to deprive the church of a godly leader. He may fill in the blank, folks. There's enough injustice out there. God, are you weak? No. I am not. God says, I'm not. God remains in control whether or not he chooses to intervene miraculously. But in Romans 8, 28, if you don't know the verse, if you have not memorized this verse, we know all things, every circumstance. James dying and Peter living. We know that all things work together. We know that all things are going to be best for those folks that walk with me, period. So we don't see it. We see fog at times. But our God says, no, no, listen to me. I am in charge. And I'm going to make it work out best for you. Well, well, God, I don't like this best. You can say that. You can. God still loves you and works it out. So what's my encouragement? Let's meet and pray boldly. God will honor your earnest desires. If not in the manner you hope, then in some unexpected way that you can't foresee. Trust the sovereignty and the goodness of God to prevail. The people in the home of Mary gathered to pray for Peter. Clearly at that time, no one expected to see Peter alive again. But they trusted God. We cannot expect the Lord to always do what we ask or to give us exactly what we want. But we can be sure that he will do what is right and will always act in the best interest of those who are involved. So no matter how your circumstances turn out after earnest prayer, speak truth to yourself. The Lord is right in all his ways. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, starting at verse 3, Moses, at the end of his life, at his last sermon, he says this, I, Moses saying this, will proclaim the name of the Lord. How gracious is our God. He is a rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. And so here's my ask. Would you join us this Tuesday for corporate prayer? I know it's inconvenient for some of you. I know you may have to even talk to your boss. 
and say, hey, by the way, I normally get off of work at seven. It's really important that I leave an hour early because I want to meet with my church and I want to pray. I want to pray with them. We know, we know that God works. I, I may not know how he works. I may not see how he works. But would you join us for fervent prayer, not casual? Would you join us as we pray for our nation, as we pray for our neighborhood, as we pray for our leaders? Would you join us so that we might fervently pray? And I know even some online, we have opened our prayer night, our corporate prayer night to those online. But I can tell you this as I talked with Pastor Willie. The last three months online, we've had one couple, one couple pray. I know some of you may think I'm harping. I'm not harping. I just think it's important. And I know some of you can't come. I, I do. But I'm asking you to come and pray with the church this Tuesday from 7 to 8. Lastly, and I, and I know I'm over, but the fourth thing I learned is that Peter spread the news. Peter, basically, we all have salvation stories. We do. We may not have a story, hey, I was sleeping one day between soldiers, chained. Dude, can't, you can't believe it. But an angel came. Yeah, let me right out, and now I'm standing here. You know, Dave talked a little bit earlier, our worship leader, is that we are no longer slaves to sin. We can worship our great, great God. We can. And, and the news is, is that I once was dead and now I'm alive because of Jesus. I once was a slave to sin and experienced death all the time and I'm alive with Jesus. Oh, doesn't our world need to hear that good news? Everywhere. There's despair. There's lack of hope. There's discouragement. You, you who have met the Savior, you who have transformed your life, you who have passed from death into life, you have a message. Tell your the Lord saved me story. Tell the story. You know, the book of Acts just goes on and on. We're going to open up chapter 13 next week. We're going to focus a little bit more on the Apostle Paul. But we're going to encourage you to share good news and make disciples because that's our mission. Would you join us Tuesday? Would you come back next week? Would you continue to listen to God? Would you let him change you from the inside out? Would you be the army that God is keeping on this planet for a reason? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for stories like this. 
Lord, I, I would have been one of those saying, why? You took away one of our leaders. God, what's your plan? But no, they trusted you. They met, they prayed. Peter needed to stick around for a while. And the kingdom moved forward. Oh God, use your spirit in our lives. Change what doesn't reflect you well. Give us boldness to those we cross paths with. And may we be salt and light wherever you send us, God. May we get up each morning ignited and recognizing we have a mission. We have a mission. And would we love you with all of our hearts and soul and mind until you take us home. That's all. Until our job's done. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning? with you and 
let you struggle with some of the questions you have and encourage you as we open up the word. We would just love that you would grow to a place where circumstances aren't the things that just bog you down. May God give each one of us grace. And, and if you want, you can uh, fill out our welcome card, our connection card. It's in your chairs. If some of you would rather, there's a QR code, and you can just use your camera on your phone and fill it out that way. But either way, you fill out a card or do the code, you can put it, the card, in our offering columns. We'll give you a call this week and help you, encourage you. If you're part of our family, you can give a couple different ways. You can also give online or if you want to give in the offering boxes. um, We'll encourage you to do that. Just a few other things. I already reminded you about the prayer gathering. I hope you come. I do. It is, and I can say the absolute favorite time um, ministry that that I get to be part of. And I hope you do come. You might be a little scared. You might not know what happens, but I don't care how old you are, um, how long you've been walking with God. We'll walk with you through this. I want to say something that's just so cool. We took an offering for Casa de Orision about three weeks ago. But, but we were just re- a little slow and just a lot of things. But we finally got the numbers, all right? You folks, gener- with great generosity, gave a little over $3,000 to this church to encourage them. Yes, to encourage them and to help them with their mortgage and with their new building and with their ministries where our elders met and felt again that we would like to match that. And so what we are going to be doing is sending a check to Casa de Arisio, uh, Arisio, Casa. That's what we're going to do. We're sending it there for about $6,000, and God's going to use that money. And I am just so grateful that on behalf of Crosspoint Church that we can bless these folks. Now, if you're newer, we have Hot Dog Sunday. Oh, what a gourmet meal. Oh, yeah, yeah. I hope you join us. It's downstairs. Um, I'm encouraging you to sit around different tables with different folks and have a conversation. Get to know some others. There's always plenty of food, and it's really good. So I hope you join us, and I'm going to pray for that food because it's really important. All right. Father, I thank you. I thank you just for the day of meeting with God's people, for an opportunity to praise you and trust you, for an opportunity to be stretched by your word. God, change us. Change us as we interact with others. Thanks for the hot dogs. Thanks for those that prepared it for us. Thank you for the opportunity to connect with God's people downstairs. And we pray this day, Lord, you would be honored and glorified in all things. We ask, God, that you would send us out as your representatives, whether it be in a school or at work, 
word home. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. See you Tuesday, Sunday, whenever. Have a great day.